Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here. Delighted to have you with us for another show of Tennis Talk here. We get to know the Pro Tour, the game we know and love, by getting some access to some of the great players in the game. I'm delighted to be joined by a player who's reached a career high of number 39 in the world, has been on a steady comeback trail since a shoulder injury a couple years ago, almost derailed her career but she made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon this past season, uh, this season actually, and uh, just competed in the Tokyo Olympics for Australia. She's also featured on a Tennis Channel exclusive, My Tennis Life. It's Isla Tamjanovic on Tennis Channel Inside In. Isla, thank you for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I wanted to, uh, you know, I'm delighted to talk to you. There's a lot going on in the world of tennis. You've had uh, an interesting season to say the least. Uh, you're calling in right now from Montreal. The grind doesn't stop. I know it's the the COVID uh world that we're in still kind of going but you played Wimbledon had the run there immediately pretty much go to the Olympics then it's San Jose now you're in Montreal are you just kind of on autopilot or do you just kind of program it one match at a time yeah well um I knew that my season until the Olympics was going to be packed but I was kind of okay with it but then for a little bit of time I didn't know if I'd make the cut so once I did I was like you know what San Jose is maybe questionable but then I got home and I was tired, but I, I felt hungry to keep playing matches. So I was just like, you know what, this is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the year, the U.S. hardcore swing. So I didn't want to miss it, especially not knowing what I'll do after the Open. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm excited. Yeah. That tournament we were talking before we started, uh, a lot of players that uh, enjoyed the facilities, enjoyed the hotel, enjoyed the accommodations in San Jose. And I've also noticed that you, know, you had a tough match right from the get-go with Annie Samova, actually saved match points to win that match. But I feel like these tournaments, that you know, since there have been events canceled, they're a little deeper, even the, even the lower-level events. Do you feel the same way that some of these smaller tournaments have better players in them because everybody just is so anxious to get back onto the court? Definitely. I, I find the field much tougher uh, since COVID and everything's been happening. Um, I think players get... Um, anxious in a way that they don't know which which tournament will be canceled which one will stay on so they just enter everything and then you do get some um, people pull out at the end and sometimes it kind of levels it but like the first cuts are always so tough so I mean I was out like out of San Jose like 11 spots like in the original list yeah. so I didn't even think I'd get in um, but you know, once I moved in, so to be fair, if I was in qualities, I don't think I'd go from Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there are players that have to strategize like in any event for what their season's going to look like their health. They have to keep that in, in mind, but when they play it's, there's no more mailing it in because you don't know what's going to be canceled. So if you commit, you're getting the very best. I feel like when in other seasons you might not of, um, and I, I know the Olympics is, you know, just been wrapped officially all the events, but it's got to be a pretty emotional moment and experience for you to get to represent Australia, your first Olympics. You you advance to the second round and give Spitalina pretty much all she can handle. What was that Olympic experience like for you? 
Yeah. Um, to be honest, like, I don't know when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I, my dad played in the Olympics, so I always knew it was a big deal, but I don't know when you're a tennis player growing up, you're always like, Oh, everyone wants to win Wimbledon. Right. Mm -hmm. So then when, when I actually had a shot at the Olympics, I, I don't know why I missed out on Rio, but then this was like, okay, I can actually make this. So in the end, um, I was really close, but once I made the cut, um, that's when like my excitement started to kick in. Um, I think it was like my reverse psychology too. I was like, okay, if I don't make it, who cares about the Olympics? Yeah. But deep down, I, I really wanted to to go. And then um, once I got there, was actually when I realized, okay, this is this is pretty special. You, you don't really get it until you get there. How how cool it is, and just to see everyone from all the different sports, all the athletes from all around the world. It's like the elite. So once I started, you know, playing it, it was also a different feeling. It, I couldn't compare it to anything else maybe a little bit like fed cup but because it we did we have really good team camaraderie so all the aussies do stick together and support each other so it definitely felt like something i never experienced it seems like for tennis players and maybe you can put the other quote-unquote professional athletes like basketball players in there that because they have another way to make a living bigger events and whatnot that they don't going into the olympics fully understand what it's like but when you get there i, I feel like that's the moment where you're you know, this was a weird Olympics, but when you feel the the whole buzz and realize that it's it's bigger than tennis and bigger than sports in a lot of ways, this whole event that, you know, kind of dwarfs every competition that there is in the world. Yeah, and I think actually, like, there was, there's always talk about, you know, there's no points for tennis players in Olympics. Obviously, there's no money, but I think that's the special thing about it, it because it, you don't go there for points or for rankings. You go there to win a medal, and it's so hard because, like, the draw is 64, and only the best three players, you know, medal. So to me, that's like, that's what you go for. You got to go for their thinking, you know, I want to be on the podium. And even though it's so hard, uh, I think that's what makes it so cool. Um, you know, this year, yeah, it was different because of COVID. Like we couldn't really go watch other sports, even though, I mean, I had to leave right away as soon as I lost. And, and to be fair, I didn't have a lot of time to really do many things that I wanted to. But I did, one of the things I wanted to do was go into the cafeteria when it was like midnight or a little bit after, because I heard it was open 24 hours. And I just wanted to see what the vibe was like, because I heard in the past, you know, it's, there's always a lot of athletes and, and it was cool. You know, yeah. I wish, uh, I wish there was someone with me. I was a loner, but still, um, I got it. Well, you got the Olympic experience, maybe not the full one because of COVID, but you repped Australia, you got to play. And I know you've gone over this before, but uh, in tennis especially, this is kind of a hot-button issue. But that decision to represent Australia, I know it was tennis-based. We can go back to when you made that call to switch, you know, quote-unquote, allegiances and all the reports about how you know you had, you had a place in Brisbane that you hadn't even seen yet. You just made the move. It happened so fast. But in hindsight, do you regret any of that, or are you just fully comfortable representing Australia and being a part of that team? Oh, no, absolutely no regrets. I, I don't know. I feel, even though it's weird, I feel so kind of like it's normal, you know, yeah. uh, especially having experienced some of the team events so far in my career and then playing in Australia when, you know, it's it's special. So, yeah, I know it's maybe weird for people still, but I don't know. For me, it, it feels normal at this point. Yeah, I feel like your story and, and tennis players all have different paths and different stories, but you were used to being committed to the game, doing what you needed to do to succeed. You moved to Florida at a young age. I think your perspective, it might be fair 
is a little different than other tennis players. It wasn't just tunnel vision, stay here, work on this, and then the pros. You kind of had to move around a little bit before you got that taste of success. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough that my my parents could, you know, get me to the States at a young age. I was like 13. But growing up, like I I spent a lot of times in the States because I had family there. So I would I would see all these camps where it was, you know, everything was about tennis at such a young age. And in Croatia, we we don't have that. You kind of you have to build your own path and you have to have your own coach to to make it and and we didn't really have online school as well so you couldn't it was very hard to make it really about tennis so i was always pushing my parents you know giving them all these like little signs that i want to move there i want to pursue like my tennis career but i mean i was so young i was like 12 and my parents were they weren't going to just listen to a 12 year old right away. Like let's so uproot they, everything and um, go across the world for this Yeah, they were like, well, <laughs> it's not just like, um, you know, like a two hour um, like train ride. It's like <laughs> you really move your whole life around. But um, I remember when I, when we made the move, my dad was like, so you want to do this for real? And I was, I mean, it was like, yeah, like I know what I want. And um, yeah, for me, people always say like, oh, you sacrifice this or that. And, it never felt like that to me. So. Well, I want to get into a couple of things. I'm glad you brought your your dad up. Your father is it Rocco? Is that how it's spelled? Rocco? Yeah. He was a pro handball player. Like that was his game. And I think it's perfect yeah. now that the Olympics are going on because everyone in America is like, this is a cool sport we see every four years. But you probably know more about handball than just about anybody, at least on the tennis yeah. tour. Yeah, actually, in the states, like it's not very popular at all. When when I say handball, they think it's like you hitting a ball against a wall. But then I have to say team handball, and then a few people know it, yeah. but it's still very um, like people don't know much about it. Um, in Europe, it's it's obviously huge, uh, well, huge, big. Um, I know soccer is like the main thing, but um, yeah, I, I remember even watching my dad when he was still playing because he he did play until like maybe 35, 36 years old. So um, it's just cool to have a dad that knew like elite sport and knows yeah. kind of, even though it's a different sport, he does understand like things, you know, that go on. So you can relate to that too, I would imagine. And he can relate to you, even though he never played tennis, he played a sport at a high level and he knows obviously fitness because that's what he works with you on. But in addition, just the ups and downs that an athlete will have. Yeah. And he, he knows, I think the biggest thing, um, for a parent, cause parents do get very, emotional when it's your kid no matter you know even though you were a professional athlete but what my dad always um instilled in me was that the process was important like it was it was never about getting there as soon as possible more as to how you get there and, and to do all the right things and as long as you take care of that you know whatever happens you did what you could mm -hmm. um so i was very fortunate to you know have that relationship also the father-daughter relationship not get ruined by by sports because that that's not easy as well like because you don't see it happen a lot just be i think because it's not easy so we're yeah. pretty lucky i think both of us yeah it's definitely i mean you don't have to look too far even in this sport to see where it's kind of gone wrong um you know and i also think just looking at your your history and your, your upbringing in tennis everything that i've read said that you were over professional like you were it, some would say abnormally professional like you were the <laughs> nine ten year old girl that had to have everything perfect that was basically taking the professional approach as a child. So I don't know if it's maybe it's a tennis nerd situation or somewhere where you were just like, this is my goal. This is what I have to do. I don't know many kids that are that serious about pro sports, pro sports aisle at a young age, but it looked like you were. 
I was a really strange kid that way. Like, uh, there's a story where, like, my dad, I have an older sister that was, she's two years older than me, and she started uh, tennis first. And my parents, like, put her in, um, they gave her, like, one coach, so she had her own coach. And I was still maybe, like, six years old. So they put me in, like, this little group with, like, ten other kids. And I came home one day, like, crying because I just didn't hit enough balls. So then I was like, well, Dad, why does Hana have... One, you know, just one person for herself. And he's like, well, you know, she's older, like, um, it's normal, like, but why are you asking? And I was like, well, dad, you know, like all those balls in the basket when I'm at, when I'm at my practice, like I have to share it with all the other kids. And Hannah just has the whole basket for herself. And my dad was like, he looked at my mind, he was like, this kid's weird. Like <laughs> she's six or seven. So then they were like, all right, here, they found me like this coach that basically taught me like my technique and he was kind of like a grandpa too he was a little bit older so we would just have the best time like I was go I would go three times a week for like an hour and that's where my passion kind of started did you find it weird or maybe curious that you didn't experience burnout that you still love the game because that story you just told a lot of players gifted or, or maybe not as gifted as you they might just hit a wall at a certain age if you're six seven years old you're, you're into that and you're playing a lot of tennis and you're practicing all the time. Are you surprised that you stuck with it the whole time and there was no burnout? Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen because I have seen it happen, you know, to some other players, but I, I mean, uh, I've had difficulties where, you know, that people don't see where I, um, I, where I question, am I burned out? Am I, am I not having fun anymore? But a lot of my um, drive still go, comes from the fact that I believe I still have so much to give to the sport and, and give, like, I think I can be still so much better than I am right now and not to take away anything what I've done so far. But that's kind of what drives me even in, in the tough moments. So I think also having surgery, being out for almost a year or two years with, with the comeback is, is something that kept me hungry. And in a weird way, it could have made me be like, okay, you know what, this is too hard. Let me just, I don't know, go to school, find another, another passion. But to me, it did the opposite. Like I was like, okay, I need to, I need to keep up. Like I need to take back the years I lost. So in a weird way, I feel like my body is, is not a body of a 28 year old. Like I feel fresh in my mind as well. So Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Ale Tomjanovic on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, just going along on that previous thought, you, know, you turned pro in 2009. That, that's like ages ago. You were a kid. I mean, and now we're here and you're still playing and, and arguably hitting your peak. But it does seem like based on what you've said and what you've experienced that your career is a roller coaster in a lot of ways. There's early success. There's injury. There's setbacks. There's you know, getting to finals, not quite getting over there. There's major runs, there's major disappointments. Have you fully, you know, experienced it like that as a roller coaster? Uh, well, when I look at it now, I'm like, wow, that is a roller coaster. Like when you just said all that, it all kind of flashed. But when I'm going through it, it, it just feels like my life, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not picking apart every moment that happens. I'm just always looking at the next one. But if to look back now, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I was great when I was young. I thought I'd be better 
even better than that, but I did, I wasn't, I kind of had setbacks, not because of injury, but because I just didn't maybe deliver the expectations and then, but I was still doing good. And, and then I had the injury. So yeah, there's like a lot of things in my career that I think I wish were different just because of what I expected of myself. But then here at 28, um, I kind of, I know it's cliche, but I, I wouldn't change it because I, I feel like right now I'm, I'm, like you said, still about to hit my peak. 2012 was, I think, the year you had mono, and that really derailed a lot of what you were building. But looking at your resume, it was 2014, where I think every pro athlete, tennis player included, has that, like, I belong year. 2014, did that feel like that was the year you're like, okay, I'm a pro tennis player. The French Open, you make that run. You beat a former champ. You beat a top three seed. Was that in your mind, like, okay, this, is, this feels like I can do this for the rest of my pro career? Um, well, that's when I realized like I could do this in a way that I can beat top players. Like I've got the game, but I still thought, oh my gosh, you know, it's not easy to like stay an elite, like in the elite, in the top. Like I always thought that like when, when the new year started, I always had this thought, oh my gosh, like I need to, no matter what I did the year before, if I don't back it up, I, I'm not going to stay in, I don't know, the top 40, 50, whatever I was. So I actually always found it quite hard I, I never thought okay I made it now I'm good like that's in tennis like you have to keep winning and playing well and improving to stay or get better right. so yeah I mean I think now it's more just a belief that I can do it if I you know if I if I work hard and do all the right things but it's never a guarantee in tennis you bring up a very interesting point last week on this show I got the chance to talk to uh, the Ukrainian teenager Marta Kostuk and she talked about making that run in Australia as a teen as a 15 year old so the first thought she had was, how am I going to defend this, these points? Like an anxiety thing. I mean, I got to think that that's part of it, right? You can't really fully gain success because you have to keep backing it up. And it's, okay, you did great one tournament. Here's another one. The tour is not stopping for you. They're not going to give you that applause and, you know, standing ovation. It's, they're back to business and they want to beat you just as bad as you want to beat them. Yeah, this is where I wish sometimes, like I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, if I could just have my brain now as a 21 year old, mm. I was like, I'd be so much better, yeah. but you can't cheat that. You can't like rush the process where I am right now in my head. Like I know, okay, I made the quarters and yeah, I thought about the fact that, wow, I made a lot of points here. But first of all, what I like to think about is, about that is like, okay, that's something no one's ever going to be able to take away from me. Like whether I defend it next year or not, I'm forever going to be able to say I made quarters of Wimbledon. Yeah. And then, I also know that this aren't going to be all my points. Like if I just keep playing, I'm going to make more points. So it, it's, it's a, a lot about also maturing and, and seeing the bigger picture. But at 21, let me tell you, I, I had the same, same thought. Well, that's, I mean, that's a lot of people at 21. <laughs> so I, yeah. I think, yeah, everybody wishes we could have been a little wiser when we were a little younger, but looking at everything. And, and one of the questions I did want to ask you was whether it was in Croatia when you got to Florida and started training, did you have any, role models, idols, if you will, players that you patterned your game after? Were there, you know, anybody I, I, watching you play and the tempo that you play at and the commitment to being well-rounded? Was there anybody that you looked up to? Could even be when you just first started to turn pro that you thought maybe I can play kind of like them? I remember watching a lot of uh, matches with Clem Kleisters and Justin Hennen, uh, but I wouldn't say I ever, uh, you know, I never was like, well, I want to play like this. I... I mean, to this day, sometimes when I struggle with something, I'll, I'll 
put in some names that I, I like to look at, you know, and I'll be like, well, what do they do? So I still like to take things from players that I currently even play with that maybe do something better than me. But I wouldn't say I had like an idol where it was like when I saw them, it was like, whoa, maybe it was Justin Hennon. Okay. It was like one time. I mean, I, when I saw her, it was kind of like, whoa, because I really did watch her as a kid. But I don't know. I just admire things about certain players. There's not like one player where I'm, okay, I love everything about this one. <laughs> have you ever, I guess on that strategy moment, have you ever invited or asked to practice with the player with the intent of, I just want to see this up close, maybe steal it for my game? Oh, to like uh, set up a practice together? Yeah, I mean, not, not super devious, but, you know, you mentioned like you see players do things that you like, maybe set up a practice with someone that you can kind of see a certain shot or technique and really try to mirror that? Um, no, I never did that. But what I do right now sometimes is like I I have maybe a type of players I don't like playing and then I actually want to play with them more so I get over it like that. But no, I not never the other one. Well, do you feel comfortable saying a player that's like frustrating to play against? Is there anyone out there? Um, phew, if I give the sub, they're going to be like, next time they're going to feel an edge. So I can't. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. <laughs> but I will say yeah. since she's retired, I hated playing Lucy Seferova. I just couldn't figure it out. That's a good answer. Uh, and you're not alone there too, because there are certain players that just find a way to bring, and I say this compliment, bring the opponent's level down. Like it's a skill. It's not that yeah. they play. And she was one of them. And I think the results some tournaments where she had it rolling. I mean, major finalists took Serena to three sets and arguably her best year ever. I mean, she was a tough player. It was had to be frustrating for you, especially as a younger player trying to figure that out. Yeah, the serve. I just couldn't figure out how to return her serve because she's a lefty and it's kind of slow, but but it just goes away from you. I, I couldn't figure it out. Like, I mean, there was one match where I think I won like four points on her serve, like the whole match. So when she retired, I was like, and like not happy because she's a very nice girl. I love seeing her, but I was like, oh my God, at least I don't have to play you anymore. You just said, thank you very much for, for yeah. you know, stepping out of the way. No, that, that is a great answer. Um, you know, looking at your career trajectory, I know the question keeps coming up and unfortunately it will until, you know, the monkey is off your back, but four finals haven't won any tournaments yet, but in three of those finals, you went three sets and you've played some really good players. All the matches have been tight. Do you think that there's one thing, maybe mentally, it's like a block that's holding you back? I mean, is it just going to eventually happen? Or are you not thinking about it? What's your mindset and your frame right going into the fact that you've gotten to finals, but just quite haven't been able to go over that hurdle? Yeah, I mean, the last final I lost, that one still stings a lot because it really felt, I don't want to get into it because it's just not <laughs> worth it. But that one stings still because I really felt like, it was mine mm -hmm. but then again it wasn't because you know I didn't win the last four points after being up but um I wouldn't say it's so much mental because I don't it honestly doesn't keep me up and now oh my gosh I don't have a title yeah. I already like it, because it was a problem before and, and then I was like look if I finish my career not having a title is it really going to matter probably not but I'm still going to you know, work hard to, to get there. But, um, so I don't, I wouldn't say if I get to the next final, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I need to win this one. But yeah. I still, you know, that actually don't, didn't even know it was four. Like that's how much I'm kind of out of it. I just know I haven't won one yet. So it's not really playing a huge, um, it's, it's not big in my mind. Well, if anything, just looking at kind of the metrics, like you, you haven't, and I say this, like you haven't no showed in a final, like every match has been competitive. It hasn't been like the moments too big. And 
you've proven in other settings that you can compete and be good players. So it definitely feels like, you know, injuries, missing all of 16 and having to play yourself back into form. There will be opportunities if, Lord willing, you have good health and you're able to keep building on success. It's just sometimes those things happen and you can't really control everything. I mean, you're going to, all you can do, I guess, is put yourself in that position and keep trying. Yeah. And also we forget that there's so much luck also involved in, in like having a good run somewhere. Like so many things have to fall into place where, because sometimes you play as good as you can and it just doesn't go your way because so many, so many other factors. So I, I do believe like once, once it comes, it's just meant like, yeah, it was my time. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to try, you know, work my ass off for every other tournament I'm at or, or final or semi. So one of the things that I've, I'm a huge fan of what you've done is start to kind of build that open channel of communication relationship with 18 time grand slam champion, Chris Everett. I know you're in Florida and Boca Raton, you've seen her and just the ability to pick her brain and use her as a resource resource. What has that meant for you? Uh, well, it was, it's been really big, especially in the early ages. Cause I, I mean, I was a baby. She's, I mean, she saw me when I was 13 and, and it's not easy coming into the tennis world when you don't know anything and, and you get intimidated. And, and she always would tell me that, um, I mean, in a nice way, you got to be a bitch out there. And, and, um, the thing is Christy is nowhere close to a bitch, but I always knew what she meant. And, um, there were so many moments in my career where, you know, she was around when what people don't see and she would, you know, take her time, take time out of her life to really help me. And, um, Oh, like we actually developed more of a friendship now than anything else, which, which helps even more, uh, because, you know, there's, of course, I respect her as the 18 time Grand Slam champion, but I see her just as Chrissy, you know, the person that comes to dinner and we have glasses of wine. So, <laughs> well, I, I think that's great. I mean, obviously it's got to be intimidating for a young person to meet that legend for the first time, but by all accounts, she's very disarming and, and courteous. And like you said, has developed a friendship and, you know, you've also kept in mind the fact that it's great to be able to pick her brain and learn from her. But at the end of the day, you're the one out there. Like you got to be, you know, mindful of the fact that you have to be the one that makes the decisions that makes the shots and ultimately gets the job done. So it is kind of a balance where you can't fully rely on anybody to do the job for you. Yeah. And she's actually big on that too, that, you know, you got to be independent when you're out there and it actually has to start with your life outside of tennis as well, to be able to make good decisions on the court. Uh, so she just always encouraged me to, to be my own person and, and be kind of strong, you know, in every aspect of my life, even when things are good or bad. And then you can't really, you can only listen to her cause she's proven it like in her own life and in her career. So yeah, she's kind of like a queen. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. More with Alatomyanovich on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, we get to it, Wimbledon 2021. You break through. You have that first quarterfinal run at a major. And uh, I think it was, you know, st the starting point, Isla, is that fans might see players make runs 
and think, oh, good for them. Like, I know they had it in them. But this was a, a run essentially five years in the making. Like, you go from major shoulder injury down to, like, 930 or something like that in the rankings. Five years later, you're in the Wimbledon quarterfinal. I mean, I think that, more than anything, was just a test of perseverance. Yeah. Oof. I mean, I don't even know how many years it's been. I just know um, someone said like the last time I made it past the second round was like maybe seven years or six. I don't know. And, and that kind of shook me. I was like, first of all, I didn't need to know that. Um, but, you know, it's been such a long road that I and I've been thinking like, when is it going to be like my little breakthrough? You know, when is it going to be? When is it going to be? I had so many little moments where, of disappointment where I thought I had it and just didn't go my way that I wouldn't say I've given up, but I kind of gave up in my mind kind of, of thinking, when is it going to be? And I just was coming into every tournament as just happy that I have a chance to even play. And I don't know if that made a difference, but those kind of mindsets every week, I think helped me get to, you know, the third round and the second, or even in the second round when I was like playing and it was tight, I wasn't really thinking about winning. I was just like, okay, well, I'm putting myself in a great position. Now what I do here is, is gonna, is gonna matter. But then again, I've experienced second round heartbreak losses. Like this isn't nothing new. So that, I don't know if it would be reverse psychology, but it all kind of helped me take the pressure off of just doing, making that run that I've been waiting for. The process and the journey helping you get there. You know, if you don't experience that heartbreak against Simona Halep in Australia, does this even happen? I mean, it's, it's fascinating how this works. I mean, I think that in some ways no one wants to lose, but that grounded you in a way. I do, I do want to mention, I mean, you played a third round match that I'd like to discuss for a little bit if you have, <laughs> if you're open to. Um, I mean, hey, I don't know. Everyone saw it already, so. <laughs> we, I don't, yeah, we, we saw it. And I think part of it is, look, I mean, from your perspective, I think it's fair to say that you saw what was going on with Ostapenko with the injury timeout as a tactic. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. I think that brings up a bigger question that we can get into a little later of should there be rule changes? Should this be policed? I think if you have rules that aren't, aren't fair, aren't enforced, players are going to take advantage of them. But the question I want to ask you is you had to really dig in there. I mean, you're going on what ended up being the biggest run of your career and you're at, you have the momentum, you, you're doing well. And then that happens, something disrupts your rhythm how do you keep your head in there and not completely lose it? Because we've seen players, men and women, where something like this happens, and then the wheels completely come off and they lose the match. So how were you able to overcome and keep your emotions in check when clearly something that you were not a fan of took place? Well, the thing is, it already happened to me once before, and it was the final I, I didn't really want to get into. And I, I didn't show it like I did, you know, in the Wimby match, but the wheels came off silently. And if... I still to this day believe if, if that medical timeout then didn't happen, the outcome of the match would have been different. Of course, to say that now is, you know, it's rich coming from me, but that's just my maybe subjective opinion. And when that happened in this match, like all that flashed was that match in front of my brain, you know? So that's where kind of the emotional um, reaction came out. And I genuinely thought it was a tactic because if... And I made this so clear after the match because, and of course, nobody really picked it up because they just want a story. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing was calling the trainer at 4-0. Like if you did it at the changeover, I would probably just smirk and think, 
okay, I'm ready for it. I, I probably saw it coming. But for you to go and sit to the bench after losing, I don't know, like 20 points in a row um, and before my serve, it just, I just, I mean, I just saw black and um, yeah. I reacted. So it wasn't, it wasn't calculated. It was just a reaction that came out. And, and to this day, I mean, it was, it was genuine from my side. So I, I still really believe it. I mean, you're a competitor too. We have to put this in context. This is professional sports. This is your living. Like we're not saying everybody needs to confront and get agitated at all times, but this is the battlefield out there. You know, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, basketball yeah. players, football players, hockey players, you name it, they get intense. They get, you know, in, in moments like this where they see red. And, you know, I don't think I don't think yeah. you were wrong for feeling that way, especially as you said when it was called not at the changeover on your serve. But also what I think some people don't understand that maybe aren't really tennis like people is that when she came back, that was a completely different match than what it was before the timeout. There was like 12 minutes that passed. I didn't have that momentum anymore. Yeah, I'm up for zero, which is a big lead, but especially on grass, you know how quickly that can slip out of your hands if, I mean, I got broken the next game. And I, to this day, I've never felt that nervous to close out something because I knew if I didn't close it out, no matter the reason, it would have haunted me for a long time. And I, and I knew in that moment, I don't know if it was smart for me to think that, but I remember telling myself, like, if this goes sideways, I don't know how I'm going to recover from this one because you don't, I felt so in control the whole match before that. So not the whole, but like once I was up for a zero. Um, so people kind of miss that. It's not just 12 minutes of no tennis. It's a, it was a completely new match after. Well, you, you kept your head in it. You closed it out. You moved on. Um, Totally different situation, but the Raducanu match in the fourth round, where it's the home girl, the crowd's behind her, she has her, you know, understandably issues that she's dealing with. It's a similar situation for you, right? You have to keep your head involved in the match and stay engaged because there's a lot going on outside of what you control. Another test, I would think, Isla, that you have to kind of maintain your level and, and, and stay locked into a match when you can't control everything. Yeah, I mean, that match was crazy. Just that I, I don't think I've ever played in such an atmosphere that so many people were really against me. And then the because the roof was closed, it was so, so much louder than usually. Um, but I did actually see her um, go up to the judge, to the ref, maybe around like when we were in the second game of the second set. And so I knew the medical timeout was coming, but I actually couldn't figure out, I mean, what was wrong when we were playing because... Um, I didn't see her between points. Obviously, I'm like focusing on myself. And in the points, I, I don't know. She was, I mean, she was running. She wasn't, you know, the serve was, she was still hitting the ball. So I really didn't know what was happening. So I just thought maybe she wanted to retape something or whatever. So I, I, it was, I was very shocked when, when, you know, she didn't come out, come back. It was uh, an unfortunate situation for her, but looks like everything's going to be good going forward. It was a great story. You moved on and, you know, you get to your quarterfinal. I have to think, like, no one ever wants to lose. I keep saying it, but if it has to be to somebody, it's world number one and country made Ash Barty, who I'm still trying to find out if anybody has anything bad to say about her. I haven't found him yet, but maybe <laughs> at some point. But no, I mean, if you're going to lose anybody, right? Yeah. Ash Barty can't get any better than that. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that felt very quick of a quarterfinal. I wish I, I had a little bit more court time. But honestly, um, the whole turnaround was very fast for me. I actually didn't know I would play the next day. So 
I think if I had maybe a little more time, everything could sink in a little bit more. But she just played. I mean, she did number one, like number one in the world things. And I did, you know, get a little glimpse there and when I got back on serve in 4-3. But yeah, I just, uh, you know, couldn't figure out how to make it more of a competitive match out there. But uh, so, yeah, if I could have chosen anyone, it was it would be Ash. Well, she played a high level as well. So there, there's no shame in losing to the very best in the game, playing at a high level, uh, something to strive for. You know, that wasn't the only storyline at Wimbledon, and I have to bring up the full storyline, is that there was this, like, couples run going on that saw <laughs> your boyfriend, Matteo Berrettini, make the final. Um, you know, and I, and I think that was an interesting situation, I mean, situation it's too. so rude to overshadow me like that. <laughs> it was kind of rude that you have your breakthrough run and he makes I the know. final. Uh, but, no, I think, it's, I think it's an interesting situation, too, because it clearly seems like you guys are pushing each other and feeding off each other going forward, but... I do I do think that, you know, you know how it is with the media and with entertainment and everything that two players dating both have success in the same major. It's going to be talked about a lot and a lot. And I, I feel like this was one of the few times where you guys were you you in particular were able to just kind of block it out and make sure that, you know, things kept going strong and you kept winning matches. Yeah, I mean, I well, he has been going deep into tournaments for a while now. And I always thought, oh, my gosh, how cool would it be if we're both, like, doing great, you know? But yeah. you never know when that would happen. So, but the more interesting thing was that um, there was also Felix um, that's dating my cousin. So we were all playing every day on the same day. So it was always, like, a joke. Well, we got to be three out of three. So we made it all to the quarters. And no, then it was impossible. Then they played <laughs> yeah. And then they played each other. So at least we had one there. Um, but honestly, like, I don't know, it would, it, I'm happy that it happened that way. Cause it made it that, that much more special. And then, I mean, I got to sit at a Wimbledon final, so I'm not complaining about that. Yeah. He also, I mean, if you're going to lose, lose to the guy with the most grand slams ever and, you know, play yeah, well no in the shame. first set, no shame there. Uh, and then also going to the Euro Euro cup final after, which I mean, I know it was, you know, you lose the, you lose the Wimbledon final. You're not gonna be in the best of moods, but yeah, that had to be a pretty good consolation prize to see Italy win. And I have to think you being next to just a rabid Italian watching that had to be an experience of it. It's probably like playing a final in and of itself. Well, actually, when he lost the the his final, um, his team like left to go watch the 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 soccer match because it was just starting and then it was just me and him left and he had to do a lot of stuff. So he was then maybe like in an hour or so and he came and and it was almost half time. He's like, no, you, we don't have to go. He, he knew I wasn't a huge fan of soccer. And he was like, we don't have to go. And he was kind of down. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I mean, he's going to look back and be like, I'm an idiot. I should have gone. So I was like, no, 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 let's just go from here and we'll make for the second, like the second half. So we get there. And I mean, I'm not a fan of soccer, but that was pretty cool to witness. So I was excited. And then when they weren't scoring in the in the second, like, I don't know if it was one all for a while. I was just cheering for them to go to penalties because I love watching that. And honestly, I have so many videos of him that I haven't posted where he actually gets mad at me because for <laughs> me, like he was more entertaining than the actual game. Like his reactions, I mean, they're so, Italians in general are so passionate. And even the whole like time during in the bubble when, when Italy was playing, he was like screaming in the lounge. So he was so embarrassing to sit next to. So 
he was absolutely like it was the best decision to go and watch that after they won. I mean, I, I think it's something he's never going to forget. Those penalties were insane and just being there. And I think it's probably best for a good decision on you not to just post everything or you could. I mean, I just think it might just be crazy to see the entire entire reaction of. I mean, I didn't even Mateo think people that. would. I don't know. I just posted and I was like, well, this is funny to me. But I mean, the amount of people that like started reposting it was crazy. That is nuts. I, I had one other thing that's unrelated to that uh, about their relationship. It was an ATP World Tour uh, uncovered TV show where they were interviewing the players in Madrid this year. And uh, the topic of coffee came up. And I have a quote here from Mateo that it says that you made him drink Americanos a couple of times. And uh, he's pretty ashamed of that. His Italian roots are hurt. So I don't know if you want to clear that up. Oh, and he doesn't drink espressos anymore. He didn't mention that either. He'll do like a, like sometimes, maybe out of 10, like twice, he'll do like a double espresso if he doesn't have time. But he secretly loves the fact that he can sip on it and it just lasts longer. So he's ashamed, but he loves it. So, okay. So you're, 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 you're saying that's a half truth. There's, there's, there's still some enjoyment there. Okay. Yes. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of that for sure. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, a few more things with Ila Tomjanovic on Tennis Channel Inside In. It's been a fun chat for sure. Um, I do have to ask about other interests too. Are you still a diehard fan of the Miami Heat? I am. I'm loyal. loyal. I, I, am, I have other favorites too, like just individually. Like I'm a huge fan of Steph Curry um, and LeBron, but my heart's still with Miami. I mean, it started all, it's all started with Dwayne Wade. So I'm staying loyal. Okay. So as a team, I love Miami. Okay. So d despite favorite players and who comes and who goes, it's all about the Miami Heat. Okay. Yes. It, I never, I have never like kind of supported another team, but I do like, uh, as I said, like just players from like other ones. Do you still accept random gifts from fans and then just throw them into your tennis bag? Or did you give that up as you got older? Um, well, it's COVID has been going on for so long that it's been so long since I got a gift. But no, I still keep them. Yep. Wow. Well, I, I, I'll let everyone know for the bag checks here at Tennis <laughs> Channel that let's just maybe not, let's maybe have some caution with Isla there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. Uh, la last thing, too. I mean, I, we talked about age. and We talked about, you know, your career. And 28 is not as old as it used to be. I think you can just look at the results across the tours, both men and women. Do you feel like you're just scratching the surface and, you know, you're just starting to round into form and get to whatever your peak is? I truly do believe that, even though, you know, I, I think I should say that, but I really do believe it. And actually this year in Madrid, I saw Francesca Schiavone um, she was coaching one of the players and I, I always had a great relationship with her. So I was happy to see her and, and she, I, somehow we got on age and I'm like, Francesca, like I'm getting up there. I'm 28. And she told me, Isla, I'm telling you 28 is the year when the mind and the body connects. And like, she did like this with her fingers. And it's like, you see, like you see it happen. And I was like, 
at the time I was still 27. So I had like two more weeks until 20. And I was like, listen, I'll let you know in two weeks if it starts connecting. So it's funny enough, I kept that in mind, like until literally this day. And I, I don't know if it's just because, you know, I'm playing better, but I do mentally just feel like this is the best, you know, like I've gone through, through so much and I can, I can put it in my brain and compartmentalize, you know, what's happened and what matters, what doesn't, what I need to do moving forward. And it's just, I'm just uh, happy that I'm 28, even though it is older. You're at that like sweet spot, I think, like 28 to like 32, 33, where you, the physical attributes are still there and the mind's catching up. Um, no, I think there's some some wisdom there. And she's won, she's won Grand Slam. She's stuck around for a while. So I think if you're going to take advice from her, um, just fully look at you, just fully immersing yourself in all the Italians. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. And also, I mean, I five years, is, it sounds so short, but you can do a lot in five years. A lot I of feel. tournaments. A lot of tournaments yeah. there. <laughs> Uh, and then I guess just the final one question is what's on tap this year. You got the Rogers cup here in Montreal going to, you know, Cincinnati and then the U S open, this is the hard court swing and you've got some momentum for the first time in a long time. What do you hope to achieve in these next couple months? Yeah. You know, I do have momentum, but I, the first match I played after Wimby uh, was at the Olympics and I going in, I felt like, I thought I'd be like so confident and like, oh my God, like I'm going to kill it. And I felt like it was a, absolutely a clean slate and I kind of panicked a little bit, but then I, I figured out it's it's such a good way to look at it. So I'm going into literally now every match thinking I can lose to anyone if I'm not, if I don't bring, you know, my best or close to my best. Um, so I have honestly zero expectation results wise, but I have more beliefs than I've ever had in my career that I can, you know, I can really go truly go deep. Um, if I, if I play well, which I've said before, but sometimes didn't believe it as much, but now, you know, it's, it's kind of more in me. Now you have the proof in the pudding and you really are starting to back that up. And, uh, I can see the confidence on your face as we record this. So getting to that point where I think good things are on the horizon, health is good. Uh, Isla Tomjanovic, thank you for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. Fancy or go support her matches. Maybe get her and her boyfriend an espresso too, I think we can work in. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. That was Isla Tomjanovic on Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. More episodes every single week. Subscribe to our show. We have a lot going on in the world of tennis. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week. <laughs>